0: Welcome to the East Memorial Student Podcast, your source for the biblical teaching of East Memorial Student Ministries. I'm your host, Matthew Ronsky, pastor of Students and Discipleship at East Memorial Baptist Church in Prattville, Alabama. Thank you guys so much. Talented musicians are such a blessing, so I really appreciate it, you guys leading us through those songs. Well, it is good to be back with you all tonight. And we have been, as most of you know, covering the letter to Philemon the past few weeks. And last week we covered Philemon, 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 if you remember that. Uh, Verses 4 through 11 is what we covered last week. And we really saw two big points from our message last week. The first being that Philemon was a godly man who refreshed the heart of believers who met in his home. But then also we saw that Philemon was an inconsistent man who likely treated his slave Onesimus bad enough that it pushed Onesimus to run away and seek the help of Paul. Well, tonight, as we continue, and we are going to finish the letter tonight, we are going to see Paul's appeal to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. We're also going to see how the conversion of Onesimus through the ministry of Paul changed everything in the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. So tonight we will pick back up in verse 12. And we'll be going all the way through to the end in verse 25, but we'll start here in verse 12. And Paul, writing about Onesimus, says to Philemon, I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. Now, what Paul is basically saying here is that if he were to have his way, if if, if he were to have his way, he would have kept Onesimus with him so that Onesimus could serve him while he was imprisoned. And to make sense of this, if you recall, I made a very brief comment in the introduction to this mini series that Paul was most likely, when he wrote this letter, he was most likely in Rome under house arrest. And if you go to the end of, of the book of Acts in chapter 28, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, actually mentions this imprisonment and says that he was under house arrest in his own rented house or quarters for two years. And during this time, people could come and go. And really, what is important to understand is that being in, under house arrest in ancient Rome was different than being in a common jail or prison like Paul was at other times during his ministry. So he was in house arrest at this time, meaning that people could come and go, visit him as he pleased, Uh, but he was under lock and key, under guard. Typically a Roman soldier or a few Roman soldiers would have kept him under guard in the living quarters that he was renting out. And when it came to providing food, clothing, anything else, that was either going to be out of Paul's own pocket. So Paul had to either give the expense to provide for himself, or he had to rely on the help of other people. And not only did he need their money and that kind of support, but he didn't have the freedom just to go to the marketplace and buy food if he, if he was hungry. He relied on people to come bring him food, clothing, writing materials so he could write letters like, like the one we're studying right now. And what he is basically saying to Philemon is that if it was up to him, he would have kept Onesimus for this purpose. So that Onesimus could have been kind of like a personal assistant to Paul, running errands for him, delivering correspondence, and, and just helping him out in general while he was imprisoned in his rented quarters. So now before moving to the next verse in verse 14, it is important to note that Paul mentions that Onesimus could have served on behalf of Philemon. Just want to make a comment on this and and really to understand this comment, since Onesimus was a slave of Philemon and under his authority as part of his household, if in that hypothetical scenario that, that Onesimus stayed and served Paul, it would have been credited to Philemon as his master and as his authority in the household. It'd be kind of like, if you think of it, like an ambassador that is visiting another king on behalf of his king. the The, the king may not physically go, but he would send his ambassador to deliver a message, make a request. And in the ancient world, even in the modern context, an ambassador is viewed as standing in the place of the leader and really the country as a whole. So, you know, and you might have seen movies where, you know, the, the ambassador delivers the word of the king, and if the, the enemy king or whatever country, if they were to have mistreated or killed that ambassador, it would be like you just mistreated or killed the king, and it could have been like an act of war. Um, you know, I, uh, there's a, a movie, a non-Christian movie that I'm thinking of, where you know, this is Sparta, but I, you know, I've never seen that movie, and I'm sure you've never seen that either. But that gives you the, uh, of course I've seen that movie, okay? But uh, that gives you an idea, of, of, this idea of, of an ambassador, right? So that's what Paul is saying, that Onesimus, as a slave of Philemon, if he would have served Paul, it would have been like Philemon was serving Paul, okay? So to summarize, real quick, Paul is saying if he had his way, after leading Onesimus to faith in Christ, which we remember at the end of last week's sermon, he did. Onesimus became a child of Paul in the faith. He would have preferred to keep Onesimus as a personal assistant. And Onesimus's service to Paul would have been credited in part to Philemon. However, Paul did not choose to do this. And the next verse in verse 14 begins to explain why. So back in Philemon, look down, it says in verse 14, but without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will or voluntarily. So there's several things to say about this verse. First thing we could say is one that Paul is implying that if Onesimus were free to stay and serve Paul with the consent of Philemon, then that would be considered a good deed from Philemon. It would have been credited to him as a good, a good act, a good thing that he, were, that, that he would have done. The second thing we could say is that Paul also did not want to create a situation that forced Philemon to do what was good and proper in this situation. Paul would rather have Philemon do what was proper voluntarily or out of his own free, free will, as he says. And really this ties back to verses eight and nine, if you're in your Bible, and where Paul says that even though he could order Philemon to do what was, what was proper, that he would rather make an appeal to him out of love. He doesn't want, to lord it over him, to force him to do what is good. And what is interesting about this is not only did Paul have the authority to keep Onesimus with him, with or without the consent of Philemon, but you could even argue that according to scripture, it would have been a good thing for Paul to keep Onesimus with him, to serve him as his personal assistant. And what do I mean by that? Well, There's a passage that we covered in our first week in this series, and the passage is Deuteronomy 23, verses 15 to 16. And this passage bears direct relevance to this verse and this situation here. And it says in Deuteronomy 23, verse 15 to 16, and this is God speaking to his people Israel. God says, "...you shall not hand over to his master..." a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall live with you in your midst in the place which he shall choose in one of your towns where it pleases him. You shall not mistreat him. So according to the letter of scripture here, you could argue that Paul, it would have been a good thing for Paul to have kept Onesimus with or without the consent of Philemon. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't follow The letter of the law, so to speak. And it will be made clear why as we progress in this letter, but we can make the following point and application right here. And that is this that Paul ultimately desires from Philemon what God desires from all of us, and that is voluntary obedience from the heart. That is what God desires. Let me show you two verses or two passages that show this. The first is picking up right where Brother Bima left off in Psalm 51, Psalm 51, verses 16 to 17. And here King David, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, speaking to God, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The true sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And then the second verse is in the New Testament, Second Corinthians 9, verse 7, and this will be up on the screen as well. And it says, each one must do as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a a cheerful giver. And what these two passages are showing us is that what God would rather have, rather than forcing us to obey, he would rather us obey out of our heart, voluntarily, of our own free will. Now, don't get me wrong, though. This does not mean or imply that God does not ever force change. The fact of the matter is that God does discipline those whom he loves, loves, And those whom he loves, if they continue to walk down the wrong path in life, if God loves that person, eventually God will inflict pain in that person's life, either spiritually or sometimes physically, in order to put them back on the correct path. He does, at times, discipline in that way, and he does it out of love, because he wants his children to be living the right way. But... Scripture makes it clear that God is not a harsh taskmaster who loves to inflict discipline or force obedience. That's not his preference. he rather you learn and follow him and obey him without the discipline. But if he has to give the discipline, he will do that as well. And so Paul is sharing the same heart towards Philemon as God has towards all of us. But going back to the letter to Philemon in the next verse, verse 15, Paul goes on to explain another reason for his decision, not to, to, or decision to send back Onesimus to Philemon and not to keep him. And so picking up in verse 15 in the letter to Philemon, Paul says, "'For perhaps he was for this reason "'separated from you for a while.'" that you would have him back forever. Now here, Paul is indicating that, or really what he's alluding to is that it is possible that the eventual return of Onesimus to Philemon was actually part of God's divine plan for Onesimus originally separating from Philemon. In other words, Paul is saying that perhaps this is all part of the plan that Onesimus ran away from you and is now returning to you. However, the return of Onesimus was not meant to be a return to the status quo where Onesimus was just treated as a mere slave that could be bossed around, threatened, abused in any way. That is not what the purpose was. And we see that in verse 16 as we continue And Paul, speaking of his return, says, No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And as you might remember, and I just mentioned it not too long ago, that when Onesimus left the household of Philemon and went to Paul for help, Paul led him to faith in Christ, right? He says that, we mentioned that. And as a result, it changes everything in the relationship between Onesimus and Philemon and even Paul. It changes the relationship between all of them. And really what I mean by this is that in Scripture, it is made clear that the church, speaking of the church, which we are all a part of by being here physically, and then some obviously spiritually we will talk about that, but scripture makes it clear that the church is not just a social club where people who share common interests come together to hang out or to be friends. Church is not a social club, even though often, unfortunately, it is treated like a social club. What scripture makes clear is that the church is literally a family where believers unite together as if they were different parts of the same body. And what do I mean by that? Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This will also be on the screen, but I'll demonstrate what I'm saying in scripture here. 1 Corinthians 12, and we're gonna start in verse 12. And here... God is writing through Paul to the church in Corinth, and he says, "'For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit.'" For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason, any less, any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason, any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole, if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And then jumping down to verse 26, Paul says, If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you, speaking to the believers, are Christ's body and individually members of it. So as this passage makes clear, The moment a person becomes a Christian, the moment they become a born-again, regenerated Christian, the Holy Spirit spiritually baptizes them into the church, which is depicted in the New Testament as the body of Christ. And water baptism merely symbolizes this act of spiritual baptism that takes place at the moment you become a true believer and submit to Jesus Christ. And so to summarize this, we could say this, we as believers are unified together with Christ as one body through the Holy Spirit with Christ serving as our head and authority. And this is how scripture depicts the church. In fact, we could say this, that the unity shared between believers and between believers with Christ is so strong that any harm inflicted on just one member of the body is considered the same as inflicting harm on every member of the body, even including Jesus Christ himself. And to see this in Matthew 25, verses 34 to 40, Jesus illustrates this truth. Matthew 25, verses 34 to 40, and here he's talking about the future sheep and goat judgment. When, when Christ returns and separates the righteous from the wicked. And starting here in verse 34, he says, then the king will say to those on his right, and this is speaking of himself, that he will say this to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared from you, for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, To the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. There's the unity of the body at play. And there's one huge takeaway and point of application that we can glean from this or take from, from these few passages, and that is this, that the brotherhood and sisterhood shared between Christians in this unity of the body, transcends or, in other words, surpasses every other human relationship and institution. An example of this, you don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter 8, verses 19 to 21, and here at this point in the gospel, the mother and brothers of Christ, the physical mother Mary, his mother Mary, and his physical brothers, half-brothers, at this point had not yet believed in him. They were a part of the masses of unbelieving Jews. And here in Luke 8, verse 19, it says, and his mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. And it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he that is Christ answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. These are his true mother and brothers. The the, the believers, in other words, what Christ is saying is those who believe in him and believe in his word and the word of his father and who follow that word, those are his true family members. And what this truth means for you and I is that if we are a true Christian who truly loves the word of God and obeys the word of God, then your relationships with other believers will be stronger than any relationship that you have with a non-believer. And I can even speak to, to, to this personally. Before I became a Christian, And there was a four-year period where I would have called myself a Christian and I would have said that, you know, yes, I believe that the Bible is the word of God, but had not yet really fully submitted my life, I can tell you that I had no real interest in being part of a church or being in the company of other believers. I didn't really see the point. You would have had to force me to go to church. The moment that I became a true regenerated believer, the moment that I myself was baptized into the church. You couldn't keep me away from church. And I couldn't even explain it. All I knew that evening was in the next day, where's the next Bible study? Where are these other believers that I can meet and, and be with and, and, and fellowship with? And what you have to understand is that this truth, even in terms of the relationships in the church being stronger than any other relationship. This even includes immediate family members and lifelong friends. In fact, I'll even say this, and I'll be bold in saying this, this can often be a test of where you are spiritually. If, and I'm not assuming anyone in particular when I say this, but if you truly don't have a desire to be in church and it feels forced that may be an indication that, okay, maybe you're not in the body then. And likewise, if you can't stay away from church and no one has to force you to go to church, not your parents, nobody, then that is a very good sign that you are on the right path and that you do have a relationship with Christ. Again, I'm not applying this to any one of you individually, but to put it out there, This is an important and true test. But returning to our letter to Philemon, Paul takes this truth, this truth that we just covered and went through, and he uses it to make his official appeal to Philemon. And so starting here in verse 17 of Philemon, we're gonna get into Paul's formal and official appeal to Philemon. Everything else has been built up To this point. And here in verse 17, he says to Philemon, If then you regard me as a partner, accept him that is Onesimus as you would me. And what Paul is essentially saying here is that if you regard me as a brother in Christ, then accept Onesimus as you would me, because he is a brother and now a brother. To both of us. That is what Paul is saying. And then we can ask the question okay, well, then how would Philemon treat Onesimus if Philemon were to treat him like Paul? Well, this will become more clear in a little bit, but let's continue reading with Paul in verse 18. And here he says, But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, and this, of course, is assuming that Onesimus may not have been the best slave and may, in fact, have done something, you know, out of negligence or something to harm Philemon financially. He says, if he has wronged you or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. And what he's saying is despite the fact And here he's referring to the fact that he led Philemon to faith, just like he led Onesimus to faith. Despite that, Paul is saying that he will take on the responsibility for any damages or wrongdoing that Onesimus has done in the past. And really what Paul is doing here is kind of like a brother who bails out his brother from trouble. Anybody been in that situation before? You've had a sibling that... uh, that, okay, I have one hand over there. Anybody else? Okay. Josh bailing, bailing out uh, Rebecca. Is that, is that no? <laughs> Probably Rebecca's bailed you out, right? So a few, I've, I've seen a few hands. So you kind of understand this, that there is a time when you may have to bail out a sibling, maybe take the heat for something or literally bail him out of jail. Um, that sometimes may happen too. Um, Paul, by doing, by saying this and putting himself in this position, he is merely continuing and further identifying himself with Onesimus as a brother. That is the point that Paul is making with that. And in in the next verse, Paul is going to kind of tie this all together and conclude his appeal to Philemon. And he says in verse 20, Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And here, Paul is literally tying everything together. And if you remember, back in the beginning of this letter, Paul had praised Philemon for what? Refreshing the hearts of the believers who met in his home. And so now he's using that praise, and he's saying essentially, in the same way that you refresh the believers who met in your home, which you were faithful to do, now I want you to refresh my heart. But there's an interesting twist here, and that is this. And in case you missed it, in verse 12, where we actually started this evening, Paul identified Onesimus as his very heart. So, in other words, we could say this, if Philemon is going to refresh the heart of Paul, likely, like he has faithfully done to other believers, then he will need to refresh the heart of Onesimus as well because now Onesimus is the very heart he's one he's unified with Paul as a brother in Christ he will need that is Philemon will need to treat Onesimus like he would treat Paul and like he has treated all the other believers who have ever met in his house but there is even more that Paul is going to expect from Philemon. And so now we're going to, to finish out the letter looking at verses 21 to 25. But turning back to verse 21 in Philemon, Paul says, Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, since I know that you will do even more than what I say. And so stopping right here, what Paul has said to Philemon up to this point is to receive Onesimus like a brother and to treat him as he would treat Paul himself. So we could then ask the question, okay, then what is this more that Paul expects Philemon to do? And I think that the remainder of the letter gives us a clue to what this more is that Paul expects. So let's look in verse 22 here. And Paul says this to Philemon, at the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. Apephras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Arist, uh, uh, Aristarchus, Aristarchus, Demos, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So here Paul concludes the letter. Give some, some final greetings from all of these fellow ministers and servants that work with Paul. But focusing on verse 22 here, I think we have our clue to where, what more is expected. And if we recall, Paul is writing to Philemon as a prisoner under house arrest in the Roman Empire, under guard from Roman soldiers, and unable to leave his quarters. And in verse 22 specifically, Paul is hinting at two things. Two things that I think give us our answer. And the first thing is that Paul is hoping to be set free from his imprisonment. If we see that in verse 22, Paul is hoping to be set free from his imprisonment. And two, related to this, Philemon is evidently and understandably praying for Paul's freedom from his imprisonment. He mentions the prayers and that Philemon's prayers for his freedom would be answered, and that he would be able to come to Philemon and stay with him. So these are the two things. And what is the conclusion that we can make from these two observations? What is the answer? Here's what I would put forward. Not only does Paul expect Philemon to embrace Onesimus as a fellow brother, but if he is to truly refresh the heart of Onesimus fully, like he would refresh the heart of Paul, and if both Paul and Philemon desire Paul's freedom from imprisonment, then the more that Paul expects from Philemon is to voluntarily free Onesimus. That is the more that is expected. And when you think about it, this expectation makes a lot of sense. And why do I say that? Well, if Philemon is really going to embrace Onesimus as a brother and treat him like he treat, would treat Paul, then how could Philemon keep Onesimus a slave who is under his complete control? Is that how he would treat Paul? Is that what he would want for Paul? And if he desires Paul's freedom, then it should be expected for him to desire Onesimus' freedom as well. In fact, I would even say that for Philemon, it is impossible to keep Onesimus as a slave and at the same time live consistently with truth. That if Philemon is really going to apply the truth of this letter and the truth of Paul's appeal to him, Then the logical conclusion, the necessary conclusion, is that he will free Onesimus. And we could even say this that for truth to reign in the life of Philemon, if truth is going to reign in the life of Philemon, then the spiritual brotherhood that he now shares with Onesimus, that spiritual brotherhood would have to become a physical brotherhood as well. It's not just good enough to love God in our heart, but never practice that in our life. It's one thing to say to a brother or sister in Christ, hey, I wish that you know, things go well with you. And hey, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. It's another thing to actually help that person and show that love to that person. And it's the same for Philemon. So some final thoughts as we conclude For one, this does conclude our in depth study to the letter of Philemon. It is a short letter, only three weeks. But now I hope that we've studied this. If somebody were to come to us and ask us, and this is a fair question, if they were to to ask us, why did God inspire Paul to write this letter? Why, and really, why was this personal letter between Philemon and Onesimus, or and Paul about Onesimus, why was this letter included? In Scripture, next to the Gospels and other powerful letters, like the letters to the Romans, Corinthians, why was this small little personal letter included in Scripture? Well, I think after this series, we could give a, a person who asked this question a few answers. And I think this will kind of summarize the, the entire study. And, and here's the first thing. This letter to Philemon gives us a practical example of Christians being transformed into brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see through the example of Onesimus and Philemon this transformation taking place. Number two, this letter teaches us that the brotherhood and sisterhood experienced in Christ and in the church transcends all human categories or earthly relationships. It doesn't matter if you're free or slave, Greek or Jew, we are all one. And related to that, number three, we could say this, that this letter teaches us that the relational transformation in Christ, this transformation into brothers and sisters, is so complete and so strong that a slave, his master, and an apostle of God are to be treated by one another as the same. Pretty different categories, pretty significant differences between those categories, and yet in Christ, they are to be treated and considered the same. And then finally, our fourth point, and this is really even a final point of application, this letter demonstrates to us that when it comes to the institution of slavery, and we've talked a lot about this a few weeks ago, the transformation that takes place in Christ is more powerful in bringing about change than any political movement or any war or army or anything that humanity can think of to try to end injustice or things like the institution of slavery. The transformation that takes place in Christ is more powerful than that. It is more powerful than that. Well, as we conclude in prayer, let us pray ultimately that this letter to Philemon and all of its benefits that we just covered, all of its points of application, that this letter will ultimately transform us as well. That if you don't know Christ and you're not in the body of Christ, that it encourages you to join the body of Christ through faith to be spiritually transformed. And for those of us who are in Christ, but are growing in our understanding and in our knowledge about Christ and his church, let us pray that this transforms us into better Christians who are able to love our brothers and sisters even better than before. Let us pray and then we will be dismissed. Lord God, thank you so much for these past few weeks that we've been able to study this letter to Philemon and and to hear your teaching through the Apostle Paul and to be able to just really see how this truth applies to our life, Lord. We pray that you would apply this truth to our life, that you would transform us, that everyone here would have the privilege and the blessing of being part of your church and your body, and that you would give us the ability and the maturity to act upon that, Lord and to truly love our brothers and sisters as we ought to. Lord, I pray for everyone here that you would just continue to to pour out your common grace on all of us, that you would provide for us, protect us from from evil or the effects of evil, and that you would ultimately comfort our hearts as we go through the struggles that this life brings. I pray all these things according to the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the East Memorial Student Podcast. For more information and updates about East Memorial Student Ministries, please visit our website at eastmemorial.org. You can also follow us on our Instagram page titled EMBC Student.